Welcome to The Modern Farmer, a podcast by Man Farms. And today the brothers are sitting down with Nathan Griffiths. Now Nathan is a wine associate at Man Farms Estate Winery. He shares his journey about how he went from making home beer kits and wine in his bathtub to now being a part of BC's most prestigious fruit wine company at Man Farms. So sit back, relax, and soak up how to make the perfect batch of wine on this episode of the Modern Farmer Podcast. Welcome to Modern Farmer Podcast. We have a guest speaker, Nathan. Hi. What's your last name? Griffiths. Griffiths. Perfect. Great. Sweet. Tell us your life story, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> well, on an cheers. autumn day. Cheers. We're drinking some wine. All right. Cheers. Okay. Cheers. How about uh, Nathan tells us about how you applied for the job? Okay. That's a great story. That's a great story. Rocket. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, there was a job opening here at Man Farms. Um, I'm sure everybody's applied for a job and sometimes it feels like your resume is just kind of like disappearing into the void. And there was also kind of one of these questions that it asked you on Indeed, if you live in Abbotsford. So I thought that meant my resume went immediately to the junk file. And you know, so I was like, I I gotta stand out and I I can't end up in the junk file, right? And I'd been making wine very very amateur uh for a few years so went through uh, a portfolio of some of the wine i had and uh mailed a bottle off to gorov and i got a response pretty quick actually i was a little surprised it was that quick yeah um and i don't know i guess the wine didn't suck too bad and uh i've heard this story before but like it's still a lot of let me just rephrase Instead of sending him like a letter or anything, you know, hand a letter, he sent him a freaking box of wine. A bottle yeah. of wine. <laughs> it was a bottle or a box? It was a bottle, and then it had a resume, experience, everything, and the wine. So oh my god, that was so Was it fun. peach wine, right? Yeah, peach, uh, like nectar. nectar? Yeah. yeah, it was from a uh, road trip. You know, you go into Silicon Valley, uh, Carameas, they grow all the, like, Tons of stone fruit yeah. there. Yeah, They're yeah. kind of an up and coming uh, grape region as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah, so whenever I drove through there, buy a bunch of fruit to yeah. kind of ferment because it's pretty cheap. And, you know, it's nice to have something from VC, right? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. Did you did you know that he was the one that's going to be opening the wine? You didn't. You probably didn't know who was going to be drinking Well, I, I addressed it to Goro. Yeah, you know, I went on the website, tried yeah, to figure out who I need to talk to, stuff. right? You know, it was obviously a family uh, company, yeah. right? But When he told me this, right, I, you weren't here then. He yeah. told me, he's like, this guy sent me in a freaking bottle of wine to apply. It's like, what? So he sent me a bottle. I was like, holy shit, you shouldn't do this guy. I was like, where does he live? And I remember he said somewhere that, look, um, Merritt or what did you no, say? No, it's Langley. Langley. Was it, you were Langley? Yeah, I was from Langley. Yeah. My return address was on there. I remember Merritt or Kelowna or something. But they didn't like their return address. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he sent it back. So funny. That's crazy though. That, that uh, you know, you send a freaking bottle of wine. That's awesome. Like, that's badass way to get no Yeah. How can you like hack someone, or, or we talk talk about um, really standing out and providing value to your customers? And like one of those ways is to to look into whoever you're trying to contact and see what their interest mm-hmm. may be, 
and kind of string on those or pull on those strings and it'll be so much more effective. And that's just a quick way to hack someone. And it's such a good way. In business, it's so, it's so accurate. Like if you figure out um, a customer, like, like we sometimes, if there's this one, we're looking at buying a specific type of uh, structure, green house structure. Sure. And so it's so cool to just see what this person's backstory is. And then you can have a conversation and you can fool on, you can talk about those things. And this one individual who loves wine. So I talk to him about wine and it always helps me further that story and make that connection with someone. And like, people might think that it doesn't make an effect, but people want to do business with people they like. Oh, absolutely. Right, 100%. Yeah. So it's, it's always a great thing to relate with people like that. That's what it is. So you, so you applied for it and then you, you got the job or what happened? Evidently, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had an interview. Uh, yeah, I got the job pretty quick. It was part-time at first. Uh, I was working for uh, a brew pub um, here in the Lower Mainland at the time, so kind of splitting the time. And then, I don't know, just over the course of several months, it kind of morphed more and more into full-time gig. And yeah, it's good. How long has it been? Uh, at least a year and a half, it's been I think. A year and a bit. Yeah. yeah. Two years. Yeah. yeah. Two years in September, I think. Yeah, I started... Like the couple days after Labor Day in September. Yeah, it started right before the busy season. That's awesome. Yeah. How did you get into producing wine? Uh, were you ever interested in it? Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I guess, dual streamed between beer and wine. Uh, just started homebrewing uh, in college. Uh, you know, I started with these kind of little awful uh, homebrew kits. You can buy them in like Save On Foods, right? Uh, they make pretty bad but passable beer um, but it teaches you the most important thing of making beer and wine is just sanitization and they're great for that they're easy to get into um, from there you know it's kind of a natural step into doing fruit wine um, yeah just kind of we started with blackberries honestly just picking a bunch of blackberries it would take about 10 hours to pick enough <laughs> wild blackberries to uh, juice or blood right yeah I mean, it sounds fun. It is fun for the first hour, but, you know, by hour three and the... Painstaking. Yeah, it, yeah. It's a long time, you know. You have to put your headphones in and just kind of... Oh, absolutely. Literally. Get a friend out there, too, promise them wine in the future that, you know... <laughs> if you can keep it in, in an afternoon, it's not so bad. People will do it and then yeah. check it out. Makes the kitchen look like a murder scene as you squash all these things in a yeah. tiny basement apartment. And uh, yeah, uh, just kind of learned by trial and error, I suppose. And of course, I've learned a ton mm -hmm. uh, since starting here and continue to learn. Cool. And you just had, just wanted to make some beer essentially for yourself. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I'm interested in the process. I'm interested in kind of alcohol you know, both production, production enjoy it, right? The natural yeah, step course. is into making it, right? Um, and it, like any kind of hobby, you, you just kind of run with it. You think you're going to save money by brewing your own beer, making your own wine, but you just end up <laughs> spending all that on equipment, and, you know? <laughs> did that ever get anywhere? Did you, did, you, did you still make beer at home or...? or? Yeah, I mean, professionally, I started uh, in beer before wine. Okay. Um, so, yeah, in college, um, I was involved with the student union, and they didn't have a, um, a pub on campus. 
Um, there's a bit of a changing of the guards and actually funny story of uh, kind of choosing your mark, your customer, your target. Um, there was a new president coming into the university. I called up his old secretary and kind of tried to get the down low on him. You know, what is he like? And turns out he likes Italian reds. So you can guess what the uh, welcoming gift was. Yeah. And yeah, he said, oh, Nathan, I'd love to meet you uh, to kind of discuss the university at the student pub. And well, we didn't have one. Yeah. And uh, so we got along great and managed to get a liquor license. Um, convince, um, it was easy at that point to convince the university we should have one. Yeah. But then uh, convince, you know, you got to get the fire department on yeah, board yeah, and the yeah. city and the liquor board. And everybody's got concerns, especially with the university. Uh, started shopping around for like beer suppliers and, you know, lots of parties, that kind of stuff. Kind of a different customer mm. for them. Um, kind of made more money for the student union selling sponsorships to breweries than actual beer. Okay. Um, awesome. And then, yeah, eventually one kind of offered me a job. So I started working in their marketing department, kind of uh, got into beer professionally that way. And, you know, just like any kind of career path, one thing leads to another. I suppose made the switch from beer to wine, um, I guess in the last year and a half or so yeah 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 have you always been open to new ideas and suggestions just giving things a try like that because you, you moved you moved from working in the, in the student union or getting yeah. that whole thing going to selling sponsorships right yeah and the sponsorships to working in the marketing side of, of a brewery and then marketing to working in a winery yeah I, I'm interested in kind of um, I suppose the holistic approach to the industry. Um, what I like about alcohol is it kind of uh, marries art and science uh, as well as kind of the engineering end on the equipment mm. and kind of marketing and sales. Um, it's relatively easy to produce alcohol, but how, how do you position that in a market that is filled with various appellations. How do you stand out? Um, yeah. How do you stand out? <laughs> that's, <a real> <laughs> that, that, that's literally a billion dollar question, right? How do you stand out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. In the wine again, licorice. Do you get licorice in here? I get some black licorice. Honestly, I've, I don't think I've tasted a red wine like this in a long time. It hasn't taste, I haven't tasted a wine like this. It tastes really close to a white. You think it tastes like, like white it tastes wine? It tastes chardonnay, like buttery, and, it, it, yeah. and silky, and smooth, yeah. really like, yeah. easy drinking. So, but I'm not sure what this one's made out of. The Rajasthan one it has, um... This might just be a blend of all 13 varieties, because that's what the, the Chapalaisen is. Appalachian is. Chapalaisen. Appalachian <laughs> is, um, like there's 13 varieties there, okay. and that's, that's what it's called. It's probably, it's probably what it is. Roger is like a... Sarah or Shiraz, uh, the one with the G and one with the M, Madino, Madaveri, Madaverne, and Grenache. Grenache. Oh, I'm not classy. I make wine in a bathtub. You definitely don't Not out there. Those are big bathtubs. Yeah. Not out there. That's crazy. Yeah. What problems have you discovered in wine production? 
that and that you've solved, or you've or you've like worked with a team and solved. Oh, okay. Uh, so, looking back at some of the kind of homebrew wines that I did, especially fruit wines, uh, definitely like uh, I did get often a sulfury kind of note. Um, so you can kind of get that by the risk of being too technical, but um, by not racking off the yeast early enough as it kind of dies mm. and settles out, uh, it can kind of leave some off flavors. So you can imagine a big tank of wine um, as it, as the yeast kind of dies and settles to the bottom, uh, you pump it out um, off of the off of that yeast, off of those lees, uh, to kind of ensure that it doesn't impart off flavors to the wine. So you essentially take the wine from the that's at the accumulated at the top. Yeah. And you leave the nasty stuff. The exactly. Okay, yeah. Okay. So that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So because you didn't do that soon enough, uh, and you incurred sulfites. Uh, not sulfites, just a sulfury kind of uh, just off flavors. Oh, I understand. Sulfur can have like an egg nasty. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, that. So it smells like farts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's like dead yeast at the bottom. So the longer the wine sits on that dead yeast, the more of that nasty note it gets. Because mm-hmm. it's just sitting there and it's macerating in there. But there's some wines, like some Chardonnays and stuff, they leave on leaves for a like, long time. Mm-hmm. Like 12, 15, 16 months because they want to make a unique wine. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a the fine art to that as well. No, yeah, I mean it's absolute yeah. kind of just uh, it's one thing if you're deciding to do it. It's another if, if it's you're doing it by accident, you know, yeah. like you just kind of forget about it, or you know, life gets in the way, and you got a, a jug of wine sitting in the back closet. Figured that out that that was the issue. Uh, well, I suppose experience of kind of working here and yeah, um, part of the problem. One of the things that I find difficult about winemaking versus beer making is the feedback loop. Like, I crank out a beer in a month, let's say, but the wine's not really drinkable for a year and a half, two years. So then you're trying to remember kind of what happened, right? Two years ago, and it's much more difficult to kind of get the number of batches in Mm. uh, to kind of hone things in, which is one of the great things about working here is we just have what might have taken me 20 years to produce that many batches yeah. uh, at home done in a year and a half yeah. right yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. fruit wine is quicker than red wine or is it the same that's a yeah I mean I, I would say there's a stylistic kind of choice yeah um, one of the substantial differences between a grape winery and a fruit winery is you can do multiple batches of wine per year in a fruit winery whereas you're really just stuck to one harvest in a grape winery so there isn't any isn't much of an opportunity cost on the tanks in a grape winery because they're just doing that one batch anyway yeah i think i think what you're saying is that working at a farm which grows different varietals Different, sorry, different fruit. You get, you have the option to do the whole batching process multiple times for different fruits. Exactly. Right. That's what. Yeah. Whereas if you're working, yeah, if, if you got working for just a winery in Okanagan, not just, but if you're working for a winery in Okanagan, you may have um, 
different batches, but they're very, very, very centralized within that specific harvest period. Yeah, I mean, they're all coming. November You're starting all of them within a month yes, at exactly. the extreme end, yes, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that whole batching process and getting that feedback loop, you have that, you have that the front end, which is, is cool, the batching side, which, right? You get through that at mm-hmm. the beginning. But tasting stuff, like it's the same thing. Like you just have to remember back. But then do you journalize everything? Or do you guys journalize everything? Because like you still have to remember back. And like, no. maybe a negative would be like, holy shit, I made freaking 15 different varieties that year at Man Farms or 10. And now I have to remember back 10 different varieties worth of information versus, versus like working at uh, Cedar Creek where you know that the winter was very cold and everything was harvested at the same time. So generally the same. So how do you guys really sort out the information? I mean, there's definitely uh, technical kind of data points that we're looking at uh, mm-hmm. and tracking um, in the winery uh, as each batch kind of goes through its fermentation process and the production yeah. process, uh, just as I do at home um, yeah, yeah, yeah. take notes. Yeah. Um, you should but, set up like a big journal. Like, oh, I would be sweet. But look back on a journal, like, oh, this was an issue. That was an issue, you know, back then. We, we have that. Yeah. We have okay. technical data that we... Year by year, we know, um, and go by mostly batches. Like we have this yellow book. You've probably seen the yellow book yeah. where it's like twenty sixteen batches, twenty seventeen batches. Mm-hmm. The thing what you can get stuck on is you make a really good wine. Let's see, you make a really good strawberry rhubarb, and it's a twenty seventeen, and then you make a strawberry rhubarb in twenty eighteen. It doesn't taste like a twenty seventeen, and you're stuck there. You're sitting there like, how do I get this? To taste like 2017 but it's impossible because they're completely different no matter how many data points you have that's like that's the thing about winemaking you just kind of have to accept the difference between one vintage and another mm-hmm. so like making the exact same thing over and over how do you solve that then maybe it's just not something you want to solve unless you're unless you're making wine in a lab per se because there's wineries that'll select their fruit based on the ph ta Everything. I guess you can't test TA, but pH, uh, residual sugar, um, and just like, you know, the the conditions that we're growing in. Um, That's just chemistry then. That's just chemistry at that point. Whereas like, Laura and I have been like drinking wine and just testing it. Um, Like you saw that one time we brought a whole crate of glasses (laughs) and we taste every single glass. Like we made that many samples to figure out what we wanted. And like, that's not something you see at all these wineries because like, that's just unique to us so even though we're making wine that's different slightly different every single time our wine is not going to be the same as anyone else's wine because we're not making wine in a lab you know we're not basing the wine on like chemistry we're making something unique um and we're just trying to like our wine like i've said it multiple times is based on the customer i don't care what it tastes like i care what the customer drinks and what they what they think of it you know, that's the way I look at it, which um, a lot of people don't do. Like, they'll make wine for themselves, which is, you know, why you get different wines that taste, different wines from the same area that taste completely different because they have their own perspective on what they want to put into the world. You know? Like, as far as winemaking goes, I mean, you're always at the mercy of the yeast that's a natural kind of from living organism but you're also at the mercy of the weather whatever kind of the well the farmer brings and produces 
we're really just trying to create the the best expression of that strawberry that you bring into the winery or that raspberry. Okay. Um, which I mean, of course, is affected by Everything. the weather. Yeah, I mean, you yeah, know better than I do, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So I was I said to Laurent too when we had that we had him on the podcast. Having you on here brings up the same thought: is that wine production is so intricate. There's layers upon layers upon layers. Like how you guys were saying that there's just there's there's just strategies behind racking. Mm-hmm. You can just go into racking and you can have a full conversation just on how you rack and you move the the top layer and you, how long you let the yeast sit. Is that you can do you can do that for all different parts of the wine production process production process. And it was it was really cool to sit down with Laurent and realize that he did he he studied for seven years to be a, a wine maker. But his um, his boss or whatever his his professor said, no, you're not a winemaker yet. You have to go out and, and spend this many more years. Then you'll be actually winemaker. Whereas we've been producing wine here since like 2013. We call our call ourselves you know winemakers and wineries with mm-hmm. you know assistant managers, etc. Where he probably thinks like or his professor probably thinks like this is just like nothing, you know. Because there's wineries out there that have like 50 or 60 or 70 years of history or decades of history that are so much more beyond than what the North American market really thinks of wine. Yeah. Right? This, this bottle is worth $70 because it's imported here or whatever, but maybe it is actually worth $70 from the perspective of someone who thinks of wine much more deeply. Mm-hmm. We don't really think wine that deep, that intricate. That was really cool. You know, sitting down with you talking about that, but thinking, thinking about that with him as well. And like, I would journaling and that putting that those two things together for me it's like shit this would be so cool if you guys were to like make videos every single day it's like this is what you guys do this is what you did today and like just post it just make videos post it, make videos post it, make videos post it and like look back and people are like oh that was that blueberry one that i like related right, to yeah or it happened on my birthday or this happened or this racking process blew up or um you never did this <laughs> you know something crazy yeah. something like that happened and and like people like will probably care. I guarantee you, some people will care. Like the initial, it'll probably be deflating because it won't be that just growing social media. But mm-hmm. I think later on, it'll probably be a big draw. There's this one farmer. He's um he's a cap dairy farmer, and he always shows like the ins and outs of the dairy process that it, that the common human does not know about. And because of that, he's very, very popular. And he sells his merch, and he makes a shit ton of money for his merch. Um, and then he has a really, really, really large population of followers on Facebook and Instagram, etc. Like, do you really care about the dating process? Oh, I'm sure enough people do. I don't right? personally, but right? I, I'm sure there's a million people but who care deeply. But it's not something deeply. that they really care about. It's that social media and Instagram helped him gain a following mm-hmm. and a following helped him gain more followings and these those people just started caring about him because they thought his videos were cool he turns he turns dairy is pretty much a commodity right yeah. and he's created a brand out of it's it like right? TDF, I, I forgot what his name is yeah. true dairy oh, i can't remember but it'd just be cool to like learn about that the whole sector of wine producing and just know you guys taste in ins and outs you're here all the time making wine, so like, oh, racking again, or I'm sanitizing, so sanitizing to go. Something simple, genuine. So I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> here to inspire. 
<laughs> I think we, I mean, we kind of do the Instagram thing. You follow yeah, us on see. Instagram and learn a little bit about what we're kind of doing. Try to give people an insight without getting too technical, yeah. you know? And no, first. talk about the technicality, I think. That'd be sweet. Talk about the racking and shit. Like, no one, yeah. no one really knows. I'm sure some people care. Some people are in location. Some people care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sure. It's about creating a community. I think so. Right? I think creating a community, I think that comes with going technical and then going the other way as well. What do you mean? You know, like, like being like very like, you can be super snobby about it or you can make it really simple. And yeah. you can do both. Why can't you do both? Put a, you put more content out in the world. And uh, I know what you're saying. Like, you need to post more often. No, and, I would uh, post as often as you want, but just kind of show the genuinity behind yeah. producing wine. I think that will, it would provide things that people can just learn about, relate to, and just have genuine interest for. Like, yeah. I like learning about wine producing. It's cool. I just, I like the, I like knowing that all wine is produced pretty much the same way regardless of what fruit it is and you can make fruit out of freaking papayas to mangoes to cherries to anything it's just fruit mm -hmm. not that many people like even catch those things you know that, that really connects for them they think you can make mango wine there's papaya mm -hmm. wine yeah you don't really catch those things like it doesn't make sense for them it's just a genuine fact that's cool that's true i like doing that shit and you'll remember that video where you saw that and you go buy the wine or whatever. Like, sure, you might relate to sales, but at the end of the day, you're just making content you relate to. That's all I think about. That's cool. Cool. I'm a marketing guy right now. I'm going to hire some marketing. <laughs> so I'm going to bring these things. <laughs> Essentially. That's sure. good. That's good. Good shot. I think one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is how to give back. Like, uh, if you can sell a product and give back a percentage, to a good cause that creates goodwill, that comes back in tenfold. Mm -hmm. So with this wine in a can project, I really want to figure out a way how we maybe take X amount of cents or X amount of percentage from each sale and give it back to somewhere like in India yeah. or in Africa where you can build a well mm -hmm. and people can have water, fresh water to drink. Like that's legitimately one thing I want to do. And that's one thing I've been wanting to do with the farm for a long time. Like because we had um, a fire in, in 20, 2014. We've done all these events. Why don't we create something with the fire department? Mm -hmm. And we partnered together and we say, great, we, we made this all this much. You guys came out here to support us so much. We're giving back to the community. The fire department is gonna get X amount of money. Mm -hmm. You know? Sure, that's, that's something cool. you could do with strawberries too. 100%. Right? Yeah. Be like, um, we're building a greenhouse. We made really good strawberries. Now we're giving back to yeah. our pickers yeah. because we're able to pay them more because we're using less land to grow this many more strawberries. Yeah, you, you know. So um, that's that's a, like yeah. I feel like that's huge. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah, we will look for a marketing team or like a company or agency that will help us with the, with the cans, canning stuff. Yeah. They help us with strawberry stuff too. Yeah. We need like an agency. We need a team. I know that I've created products before. Yeah. Packaging before. So and it, really good. The best products that work are the ones that are just insane. They're very like, simple. They're very, very like like out there. Well, very actually, out there and sometimes super simple too. You know, like the tongue project, like that's pretty out there. And that would work. Um, and something simple would be like having a squished berry on the can. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, 
or having just the blueberry and the blackberry written like those three examples yeah exactly think about it. so cool yeah so what's new with you I snowboard a lot yeah 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 I love snowboarding all my like I was telling Jason all my whole YouTube history is just looking at you snowboarding right <laughs> looking at buying different snowboard gear yeah, I, I think you should wax your board I think waxing your board will make a world of difference. Just get a wax and get myself and wax myself. Just go to sports yeah. and get it waxed for like twenty bucks. You could do it. I'll show you how to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. probably not that hard. Yeah, no, I've, uh, it's not hard. You just have to get the right stuff. I don't have a waxing iron. Yeah, so that'll, that'll make a world of difference for yeah. you. I think yeah. it's like you're like sliding on ice basically at that point. It's, it makes a huge difference. But didn't you? Because you snowboard quite a bit, or you snowboard quite for quite a while. Yeah, right? snowboard, ski. Yeah. yeah, and do you always wax your gear? Before you go out, or not every time. Um, Before I put it away for, I guess, the summer, um, I'll like half wax it. Yeah. So, um, for those who don't know, you to wax the skis or snowboards, uh, you buy uh, ski wax, and you need an old iron, and you just kind of drip it over the Mm -hmm. surface of the skis, and then smooth it out uh, with the iron, heating it so it's even, and then you'd scrape it all off, uh, virtually all of it. Uh, so there's just a very thin layer of wax, uh, but if you put them away for the summer, I don't scrape it off until, like, say November. So that just helps to preserve it and any yeah. bumps or scrapes that might happen in your storage locker yeah, or whatever, yeah, yeah. right? And you got fresh skis ready to go ready December first or whenever you roll out. Ready to rock. Yeah, that's right. And where have you always snowboarded? Or have you gone on trips and snowboarding? That's what I really want to do. Yeah, I mean, I just got back from uh, Whistler, uh, well, yesterday. How was it? (laughs) Oh, it was fantastic. Totally lucked out with the weather. Yeah, it was just great. Well, how was the weather? Was it blueberry days or what was it? Yeah, it was... uh, Oh, my God. I mean, there was a rolling in kind of cloud, but yeah, it was uh, half blue, I suppose. That's awesome. Uh, That's awesome. And then, do you just do blacks or do you join in greens or blues or what do you usually do? uh, Well, I mean, I... Just everything, right? Enjoy yeah. it. Uh, this is my girlfriend's first season, so yeah. I've been doing a lot of blues and, uh, well, greens and blues. Yeah. Uh, she did her first black yesterday. It was. How'd uh, it go? It, it was slow. She got Who's down. A uh, on a snowboard. On a snowboard. Yeah. Oh, wow. So on it's a snowboard, black. you have an advantage in that, like, if you just kind of heel edge, you can kind of yeah. get down anything, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And then she had a bit of a long walk on the flats because she, of course, didn't have the speed yeah. that she needed. A, um, but yeah, I mean, she got down. And uh, see. how long was the longest run at Whistler? Oh God, I, there's like a kilometer and a half of vertical. Oh my God! Like, yeah, like Shit. maybe what 1.4 kilometers. So you probably on that thing for like half an hour. Yeah, so I mean, they start shutting down the Alpine at like two thirty ish. So oh shit, okay, yeah, yeah. What you got to try and do is get as high as you can for around two two thirty, and then yeah. you spend the rest of the day kind of skiing down into the village. Oh, that's and awesome. And then après ski. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Enjoy a glass of wine at the end. Yeah, <laughs> or beer, or wine. I don't know. Let's go tomorrow. I want to go tomorrow. Yeah. Let's go tomorrow. We'll go tomorrow night. I'm down. We'll go tomorrow night. Where do you want to go? Seymour has lights. Does Cypress have lights? Yeah. All three of the local North Shore mountains have lights. Yeah. Which, other, which is the third? Grouse? Uh, Grouse, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm down for Cypress. Let's go Cypress. I'm down. I like Cypress so much better. We'll you can go right past We'll be on four. I'm down for that. It's pretty, pretty packed, though. 
think so? All guaranteed. That's okay. That's me stupid about yeah, All the local mountains are just super busy. We're having yeah. such a good like ski season. Yeah. Well, it, it had, had snowed for like a week. The last snow we had was Saturday, Sunday. Right? This is yeah. yesterday. It's like the day before yesterday. I mean, Whistler got like a dusting kind of over the last, on Saturday, yeah. Sunday. Okay. Do you mind? Like, I hate, like, that's just me. I'm a beginner. I've only done like 11 or 12 times. Is I don't like the freaking icy, hard packed snow. Yeah, I mean, it sucks, right? It like, sucks. You hate it too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's retarded. Like, it's just, you fall on stuff, it's like hitting concrete. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it hurts so much. So then, um, but, uh, I, so I planned it, because I didn't go all last week. So I planned it to go on Monday um, after a snowy Sunday. Yeah. So I went Monday yesterday. It was so nice, man. Like but this is your first year, right? First year. You've been kind of spoiled. Like, we're having an El Nino kind oh, of year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is, like, the best it's been in a long Seriously? time. Especially for the local mountains. Why? Like, what do you experience? It's you. Like, they've got a, they've had a lot of snow this year. Oh, I mean, okay. the last week, not kind of withstanding. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're just having a fantastic year. I mean, normally there would be big... Often there's big bald spots on some of the North Shore mountains. Um, really? Yeah, but... it. It's been fantastic. So, how's Manning Park compared to the rest of these guys? Uh, Manning. So the Okanagan snow is a lot better. Right. Um, I, I prefer Okanagan snow. It's kind of lighter, more champagne. Okay. Uh, not as kind of heavy, wet. Um, and the, the, for those who don't know, um, Manning literally sits. It's the dividing line between the Fraser Valley and the Okanagan. Yeah. So um, their mountain points, the rivers flow two different directions, and they kind of sit right on that line so they get kind of a mix of both mm. um and manning was actually they literally trucked in snow for the 2010 vancouver games Tried from Man- yeah because oh. we had a terrible year uh in 2010 yeah and of course we're hosting the olympics you gotta have great snow yeah. so they were trucking it in from manning park holy shit i did not know that yeah that's insane but um manning park's only an hour and a half Five. from here yeah, yeah. You're going at a pretty good clip from that, but sure. Is it? Yeah. What, what, how long did you take? I think you're looking at I closer to two hours, but yeah, it's totally go. worth yeah, it. Yeah, so. I second line says an hour and a half, but that's pretty cool. I would do that. That's two cool. hours is kind of far, though. That's far, yeah. right? It's a little bit more affordable than, you know, you, you save maybe 20 bucks or whatever over North Shore Mountains. The big sure. difference is there's probably no lines. Oh, there's okay. no big my, like population center near Manning Park, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You got they're in between Hope and Princeton. And how are the runs? I mean, it, it's short. Like, oh, is it shorter? They upgraded their chairlift, I think, a year or two ago. So they do have a high speed quad. Yeah, but um, it's not like how, how do you compare Manning Park to Sasquatch? They're they're fairly comparable. Fairly comparable. Do you yeah. think Sasquatch is a little bit longer run? That tall tall one? Uh, maybe. I mean, it's pretty comparable. Because Sas- um, Sasquatch one's not bad. I, I like Sasquatch a lot. I, yeah, that's I kind of my <laughs> where I. That's what you like. Yeah, I've been there three times this year. They're having a great year. Yeah, it's a nice place. Like, I went there and it was, it was hard packed. It was really, really hard. Yeah. So I didn't enjoy that. But the, it was a blue, blue, blue day. Okay, you can yeah. see as far as you can see, and uh, the run was so long with zero lines. Yeah. And, and oh. the lodge is nice. Everything's chilling, right? So it's not mm-hmm. a big deal. And there's parking right there. Like it's no, it's no stress. Yeah, I mean, if you have a good vehicle to get up that scary road. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sasquatch is a good price, and yeah, that's not yeah. bad. 
like how are looking on a fifteen minute drive compared to Cyprus and your shot? Yeah, it's comparable distance. Yeah, you know, either way, it's not pretty much. similar. Yeah, not yeah. Much, yeah. It just depends if you want to sit in traffic or not. Yeah, <laughs> we came back from Cyprus around like uh, what was it five forty five six o'clock when we got back? Oh no no, we left Cyprus at four four forty five. We just hit gridlock, dude. It was, yeah. it was so annoying. Right to the bridge? Or? Yeah, yeah, right to the bridge. So we ended up going to go get some food and we got back in It's what called download chicken? Download chicken, that's what we want. Download chicken. Download chicken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, Cypress, Cypress is nice though. I like Cypress. Because mm-hmm. you can do everything. Like it's, and the Raven, do you know the Raven left? No, I've only been there once or twice to Cyprus? be honest. Yeah, okay. I grew up on, Man, uh, on uh, Grouse and Seymour. Okay. Like that's kind of where... You always used to go. Yeah. Okay. How are the, how are the runs at grouse? Uh, I mean they're short. Are they? Uh, they the great thing about grouse is they have a gondola. Uh, COVID notwithstanding, I mm. wouldn't want to go this year. Yes. Yeah. There's packing pe- fifty people into a hundred gondola. Holy shit! Really? So, yeah. Wow. But I don't know. <clears throat> I mean, any other year, grouse is kind of cool because you take a gondola up. So like. If yeah. you've got like a Mercedes with like summer tires, like you can go to Grouse, right? I mean, the, the gondola is kind of part of the magic, right? Cool. Great restaurant up there, you know. Yeah. They were the first mountain to have a high speed quad, so that was kind of cool. All the low North Shore mountains make a lot of snow. So. All right, thank you guys for listening to episode number 38. This is your co host, Amir, with. Gorov, and then we have guest Nathan. Good night. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys.